So, Mark. Yes. In the film we discussed this week, at one point, a man crawls, heaves himself out of a muddy pit like a poop coming out of a hole. And that's kind of what he looks like because he is covered in slippery mud. And I was enraptured by that moment. It's quite a moment. It's one of the moments in this movie that lasts just longer than you expect (laughs) it to. And precisely as long as it ought to. You really get to hear that moaning as he tries to pull himself and then his brother out of the hole. He's just, like, constantly yelling. Yeah, because he's wet and tired and also jubilant. But also, there was clearly only one small spot of the mud because he is, like, climbing out of this sinkhole and then next thing you know, standing on solid ground with no sinking problem at all. Because it's not a sinkhole, it's they dug a I know, tunnel. it just really and so threw me it's, off. it's sinking where they took the ground out from underneath the ground. The mechanics of it don't really make a lot of sense to me, but I really appreciated the visuals. And I also appreciated how silent the other person is, <laughs> as John Goodman, or this man, is just screaming <laughs> at the top of his lungs. Anyway, it's John Goodman. He's great. This is pretty early in his career. So I was wondering, Mark, what your favorite John Goodman performance is. I think John Goodman as the vice dean of the air conditioner repair college of Greendale Community College is my favorite John Goodman because it's the most- Let's be clear. It's an annex. Excuse me. Air conditioner repair annex of Greendale Community College because it's the probably the most- bizarre John Goodman performance in the balance of their using his quiet dread that he can create while at the same time conveying a very helpless middle-aged man going through some things. I love his ponytail. They capture the two angles of John Goodman casting in one role very well. Yeah. I think for me, it's more in that dread zone that you talked about. There was a movie a couple of years ago, 10 Cloverfield Lane, that I really, really enjoyed where John Goodman is a doomsday prepper who builds himself a bunker. And at the beginning of the movie, there's some kind of disaster. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead is trying to get away. And she's in a car crash. And John Goodman rescues her from the car crash and from the calamity and takes her down to his bunker. And the movie walks this really fine line of him as like a kind of a weirdo, but who helped her and John Gallagher Jr., who's also down there. Or, like, maybe he's a lunatic and things are fine outside, but he won't let anybody leave. And it's just this intense intimidation. I really need to see that movie, don't I? I love that movie. Mora. Yes. Do you know who John Goodman is? <laughs> Let's start there. I do, but I think most of my knowledge of him is from animated Disney movies. Okay, so between Monsters, Inc., Monsters University, and The Emperor's New Groove, which is your favorite John Goodman performance? I was actually going to say Princess and the Frog. I forgot he's in that. Oh, he's good in that. He's Charlotte's dad. He's like the mayor or like the big rich man. He's the rich white guy. Yeah. And he's always like king of the Mardi Gras parade. And he like spoils his daughter rotten. That is a very similar performance to John Goodman's role in the B movie. (laughs) <laughs> in which he I don't pl- remember who he is in that movie. He plays the lawyer representing humanity against oh. the bees. He's the one who brings Sting to the courtroom. Okay. And also Ray Liotta. Yeah. yeah He's yeah. also great in Emperor's New Groove. He is so good in that. That movie's kind of good. That movie is more than kind of good. Is great. It's one that I desperately want someone to just write a book about the making of it because the production of The Emperor's New Groove was such a nightmare. Where, for starters, it was originally supposed to be a musical, and speaking of Sting, he was going to write songs for all of it in the fashion of Elton John and Phil Collins, those 90s Disney rock musicals. Mm -hmm. Brian Adams at DreamWorks, yes. And 
They wound up only using one of them in the credits. Oh. But it was originally supposed to be a full musical, and it was going to be, like, a lot darker and weirder. And it's still a pretty weird movie, because it's about <laughs> a monarch a who wants to build Disneyland getting turned into a llama. <laughs> but the original version was a movie called Empire of the Sun, and it sounds really fascinating. But it's the unfortunate thing where, because... The Walt Disney Company continues to exist. They have every incentive to not allow people the kind of access they would need to write this book. It's a great movie. One of the main reasons they changed it from being a musical is it got way too dark. And that is why I want to see Empire of the Sun. Because instead of just trying to be in charge... Empire of the Sun is the Steven Spielberg movie. Oh, what'd you say it was going to be called? I thought that's what you said. I think I said that. Yeah. Because I recently (laughs) bought an Empire of the Sun steelbook on eBay from a guy in Germany. Um, the original one was called Kingdom of the Sun. There we go. Kingdom of the Sun. Okay, close enough. And instead of just wanting to become in charge, Yzma wants to fully murder the sun and plunge the planet into eternal night. Right. Yzma's a great villain. So in the first version, she's basically Malekith from Thor the Dark World. I love Wants to bring back the Age of Darkness. I'm just thinking about how we got from raising Arizona to a deep dive into that (laughs) Burr's new groove, and I'm very happy with it. (laughs) Yeah, two good movies. Uh, one better than the other. Wait, Maura, which one do you think is better? <laughs> which one do you think I think is better? Maura, did you not like Raising Arizona? It was fine. No! Maura! <laughs> okay. I didn't dislike it, but I just don't know that it's a movie I would choose to watch again. It was fine. I don't, I'm not upset I watched it. I find it impossible to predict what you will like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I texted Will during this movie, Mark. When Nicolas Cage goes up to steal the baby and he has the ladder against the window and just pops his head up and is looking at Nathan Jr. and just like staring at him and shushing him with his finger to his mouth. An incredible visual gag. I took a picture of that and sent it to Will and I said, you didn't tell me this was a horror movie. And I don't think he realized that I was kind of joking, but that image would give anybody nightmares. Yeah, nightmares that I'll never see anything that funny again. Oh my God, it was creepy. It truly is very difficult to guess what you're going to enjoy, Maura. <laughs> I, I never feel confident. It's okay. Unless it has a Disney or Pixar logo on it. <laughs> because Swiss Army Man looms as this, like, white whale where there was the one time that we got you. Which is not what happens with the white whale. <laughs> but there was that one really weird movie that you really vibed with. And I feel I like I I've did. been chasing that ever since. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you even tried The Lighthouse. Oh my god, Mark. Oh my I loved god. it. I thought mo- You did yes. too? I thought you would never speak to me again after that. <laughs> I was in a state of shock after that movie. Are you surprised I that I liked it though? your beans. Oh my god. It just was like, ah, uh, ah, uh, it was just crazy. I just didn't know where I was or what I was doing. Or what brought me to that moment of my life. And isn't that what the beauty of cinema is? I kept laughing at the movie and Maura kept turning to look at me with like increasing confusion at both the movie and why I was laughing. <laughs> I definitely was one of the laughier people in the theater. I j- my jaw just kept dropping and Will just kept laughing. But you gotta admit, Robert Pattinson. It's bad luck to kill a seabird. Shirtless in suspenders, shoveling coal. Good luck. Sure, that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's his Batman suit. Uh, if only. I don't know. Sometimes I do watch weird movies with Will, and they're fine. But other times, it's the lighthouse. 
It's either Swiss Army Man or the Lighthouse, and never the twain shall meet. Mora had a... She didn't even like the sea shanties at the end. It was just such an alarming juxtaposition, and I just didn't know how to handle it. One minute he's being torn apart by gulls, and the next minute you have an upbeat sea shanty. Because we all just had a good time. That's A24 in a nutshell, even if the lighthouse isn't A24. (laughs) All of their movies end with credits that are just way too upbeat. The opposite of what they should be. The midsummer credits were distressingly happy. Really? And the lighthouse was A24, so it was part of that. It was? I thought it was Focus. What did I Uh, see? Focus distributed it internationally, so because you saw it in the UK, it looked like a Focus movie. Oh, yes. That is... Exactly what happened. I was like, I thought this was A24, <laughs> but it says focus. Yeah, A24 doesn't have the international arm. Ah, uh, yeah, that's why I'm stressed the Green Knight will never show here. Or it will, just not on the day I want it to, which is as soon yeah, as possible. It, it is English. <laughs> mm. Do you think I should get more to see the Green Knight? Wait, is that I think so. Medieval Times? <laughs> it is, well, it is not an adaptation <laughs> of the restaurant Medieval Times, which frankly is the kind of movie that I would expect to be made. <laughs> No, I mean, it's I mean, set in medieval times, wait, no. but it's not about the restaurant medieval <laughs> times. Wait, no, I think I saw an SNL bit recently that was about medieval times, yeah. and that's what I'm thinking There was about. a good one with Adam Driver as a medieval times yes, guy. Yes. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Why isn't there a movie of life at medieval times? It's kind of insane that there is not a movie tied to the restaurant. It feels really obvious. It feels like there should definitely be a party down version of, or TV show of medieval times. I like that. So what is the Green Knight about if it's not about medieval times? It's based off of a medieval uh, Arthurian poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Okay. But it has Dave Patel and his head is on fire at one point in the trailer. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's A24 nonsense. Okay. Mark, have you ever been to Medieval Times? Uh, when I was really young, want to go back. So, Mora and I went in high school as part of our band trip to Toronto. Yes. So, we went to Canadian Medieval Times. We were probably about half of the arena, don't you think? At least a quarter of it. Yeah, maybe at least a quarter. But, like, it was packed, and my one strong memory of it is that one of the things that happens at Medieval Times is they serve you your food, and they basically give you, like, half a full bird (laughs) and you're just sitting there in the dark while the show is happening trying to eat this bird and my friend called over a waiter and said hey can i get a fork and a knife and the waiter said there's no silverware in the medieval times which first of all is not true (laughs) and second of all my friend responded by saying oh but they had pepsi (laughs) i love the pick and choosing of historical accuracy anywhere you go They absolutely had knives in the Middle Ages and spoons. Definitely. And I just remember the man got upset that I didn't eat, the waiter got upset that I didn't eat more of my food. And I was like, dude, I didn't order any of this. You just brought me out like tomato soup that I had to drink with no spoon. And like, yeah, a baked potato and a chicken that I had to eat with no silverware. And then I asked for more napkins because obviously it was making a mess and he never brought me more. And the only other thing I remember from that experience is that when we were cheering for whichever night was ours, I don't remember which color it was. Maybe it was the green night. Maybe. Everybody from our school just started chanting USA, USA, and we were in Canada for this trip, and it was just like a very typical high school interaction, I feel like. Oh, you guys, you know what we forgot? 
to start the show. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I was very aware of that fact. (laughs) This is a podcast dedicated to examining the most important issues of our day. Namely, what movies does Mora like? (laughs) (laughs) That should be the theme of a whole episode. Just every week. a wild card. Every week we watch a different movie and we're like, Mora, did you like it? A spinoff podcast. (laughs) Also, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? (laughs) Yeah, and are these people actually dateable or likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, of course, we are featuring the return of our medical expert, my sister Mora. Hello, everyone. And Mora, we have, of course, brought you back for two reasons. One is that between this, the big sick, and broadcast news, you've become our major Holly Hunter guest. What an honor that we have given you. It really is an honor. And also because as a pediatric nurse... We wanted you to talk about childcare as we explore the romance of the 1987 Coen Brothers comedy, Raising Arizona. I'm happy to be here. I was wondering what wild leap you'd make into medicine. <laughs> we pushed the line a well, lot. <laughs> it was right there. I feel like this one makes a little bit more sense than like The Fly, which is just supernatural like science fiction. Yeah, except that we talked about The Fly and then like a week later I was chatting <laughs> with you and you were talking about animal graphs on human bodies. And I was like, where was that when I demanded oh. commentary on The Fly? Yeah, I forgot about that. It's because you're just too hostile to the role that you've been given. I know, I get so defensive and then after the fact realize the relevance. So what were your reactions to Raising Arizona more? You had not seen this before. I think I had seen like the first 20 minutes or so um, at the beach one time. And after that, I just decided to leave the room. (laughs) And I don't know if I did something else or if I just went to bed, but I know I I exited. (laughs) And when I was watching it this time, I was like, Yeah, I see why I did that. But it was also, like I said, I'm not mad that I stayed the whole time this time around. Stayed on your couch. Yes. I do have to say, of all the Holly Hunter movies we have watched, it is my least favorite. But I thought she had a great performance in it. Yeah. And this is really early in Holly Hunter's career because this is the same year as Broadcast News. Is it really? Yeah. What a year for Holly Hunter. Seriously. And she had had a couple of small roles prior to that, in part thanks to the fact that in the early 1980s, Holly Hunter was roommates in New York with Frances McDormand. Oh, who's also in this movie, right? Right, and she's married to Joel Cohen, who is one of the Cohen brothers who made the movie. This is one of the weirdest Frances McDormand roles. It is in that it's just like a sort of prissy lady who wants to show off how good her family life is. Right, it's not a weird role. It's a weird role to see Frances McDormand playing. I didn't recognize her at first. Is this your first time seeing it? Uh, no, but the last time I saw it was a long time ago. Like, early high school, maybe. Okay. Maura, I'm guessing this is probably your first Coen Brothers movie. I'm not sure, to be honest. What else have they made? Fargo, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Hail Caesar, Inside Inside Lewin Davis. Davis. Then yes, I think this is my first. I think of the Coen Brothers movies, you would probably like Oh Brother Where Art Thou best, but again, there's no way to judge. So this actually is the Coen Brothers' second movie. Their previous one was Blood Simple in 1984. And that was also the debut film of Francis McDormand. It was the first movie that Barry Sonnenfeld worked on as a cinematographer. He also shot this movie and When Harry Met Sally. And of course, Mark, he directed Adam's Family Values. Uh, what a We've movie. gotten a lot of Sonnenfeld in here. And this is really a point where they are branching out a bit. They said that their goal in writing this movie was to make something as different from Blood Simple as possible. So being faster, being funnier. This movie almost has like a Looney Tunes quality to it. It's very elevated. 
Everything happens either way too fast or way too slow. Right, and there is the Looney Tunes quality, too, of the level of beatings that characters take and bounce back. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's High's hair, which changes shape based on how stressed out he is. And there's also just the roving pack of dogs that continues to grow and then never disperses, which feels very Looney Tunes. Which I love. And then you've got the, you've got Leonard Smalls, the devil-bound motorcyclist. Oh, he was weird. Yeah? The cre- I think the creepiest thing about that was the little baby boots that were tied to the edge of his jacket. I loved that. I feel like they had like a bell in them or something. I feel like they rang whenever they fell. The Coens said that their goal in coming up with that character was to come up with the most evil character that High would imagine. Okay. So an evil twisted motorcyclist with baby shoes. Yeah, it was creepy. It sounds about right. Yeah. I think they nailed it. It was nice watching this movie the same week that I saw Birds of Prey. Because that's another movie that has a real Looney Tunes quality to it. Of course, that one even more so with characters hitting each other with hammers and riding around on roller skates. I don't know why, but my brain filled that in with Birdemic. And I a was great movie. Shocked that you were watching that again. <laughs> First of all, you shouldn't be. Second of all, no, I was talking about Birds of Prey, the Suicide Squad spinoff. Yes. Which is astonishingly quite good. It's almost like when DC doesn't focus on men, their movies are better. Yeah. Although, Shazam, also fun. Uh, yes. Well, you could say those are boys instead of men. They're uh, nice true. boys. It's a boy pretending to be a man. It is. But isn't that what all men are? Um, speaking of Suicide Squad stuff, James Gunn, who is directing the second Suicide Squad movie, which is called The Suicide Squad, because that's how movies work now. <laughs> Mark just did the most dramatic <laughs> eye roll. James Gunn, in response to a question on Twitter, said that he won't confirm a lot of stuff that's happening in the movie, but... He is an expert at sneaking Howard the Duck in at the last minute. What? But Marvel won't really let that happen, would they? Right, so you couldn't make it Howard, but like you could put a duck wearing clothes in. Yeah, I guess. It is worth noting, Mark, I have tragic news that I'm guessing you have missed. Is the show the canceled? Hulu, <laughs> the Hulu animated Howard the Duck show has been canceled. What a shock. Color Was it me ever, like, did surprised. they ever release any episodes or no? No, but they did start writing scripts. Okay. This is really a victim of corporate restructuring because Marvel Television has now been fully put under the auspices of Kevin Feige of Marvel Studios, whereas previously it was a separate arm run by Jeff Loeb. Hmm. But now that it's all under Feige, they've been streamlining a lot of the television production and a lot of their existing TV shows have been canceled. Okay. And so this is a really sad day for those of us who love the duck. You. It's a sad day for you. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how many other people there really are, but... So, this movie was decently well-received. It did all right at the box office. It opened on April 17th, 1987, and it ultimately made $22 million against a $6 million budget. It's pretty good for the 80s. It's pretty good. Yeah, pretty solid for people stepping up from their previous movie they actually had wanted to make barton fink their next movie but couldn't get the budget so this was a thing to try experimenting like i said going in a far direction away from blood simple before they had proven themselves to the point that they could get the larger budget to do that also at the box office this weekend the aristocats in re-release coming out of the vault yep uh lethal weapon platoon and nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors what a name it's a great name. I don't think I've seen any of those 80s horror films, but the sequels sound honestly more interesting the weirder they get. I've seen the original Halloween, but I believe that's in the 70s. Yeah. 
the 70s, too. I haven't seen Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, any of those things. Texas Chainsaw. But the ones where you get to, you know, Halloween 10, H2O, or whatever, or they just like, space now? <laughs> That's where I really want to dive in. Oh, weird stuff. So, I feel like we've got some good uh, some good stuff to talk about. Before we dive in more, do you have any preliminary comments on childcare that you want to bring up for us? Um, No, not preliminary. <laughs> I think we'll just wait till we get <laughs> to the relevant parts of the movie. Okay. Do you want to... There's no, like, immediate, like, yes, this is a really great example of childcare. Do you think this movie should be a model for people? A great example of childcare? Yeah. I did find it entertaining that every person who steals the baby also steals the Spock's book about how to care for a baby. Well, yeah, you gotta have the instruction manual. Even if it's, like, singed and covered in whatever mess from their car chases and stuff, everybody happens to make sure they grab that with the baby. I mean, that's the only book you keep at the hospital, right? Yes. The only one. <laughs> the only book in the whole hospital. <laughs> that means there are no books on the adult floors, and we don't have any books about medications or anything, just the Spock's book. I assume it's all covered in there. It is yeah. It is the instruction manual for raising a human. Right, and That's what is an adult but a big baby? Okay, actual medical question. They call it okay. Diptet, but now yes. we call it DPT? DTP? No, DTAP. DTAP. Is it the same thing, or yes. did they add something? Um, I think it is the same thing. I have never heard of it called Diptet before, but the DTAP covers three different things. Diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, which is the whooping cough. So the only thing I could think of is that maybe it didn't cover pertussis. So what is the but whooping cough? I don't cough? really know for sure. What is the whooping cough? Because that's just one of those Oregon Trail diseases. What? <laughs> Um, it's like a, like a really bad barking cough. Um, it's a, like a, it's a, like a respiratory infection. And you know, if you get the vaccine, you should be pretty, pretty good. All right. Well, thanks for that. I don't have a ton to say about it. <laughs> I don't know why. So it's like a really, like a really bad cough, you know? Okay. Just like, it's, but it's like an infection. I don't know why. I don't, it's not how we went blind, but I feel like the first time I heard about whooping cough was in this life of Louis Braille in some weird, like, children's book. Man, children's biographies were weird. <laughs> Just, like, bring up all the diseases they had. Every person sounds like they were constantly sick in children's biographies. <laughs> well, I think they were, though. Yeah. And that's why you have to vaccinate your children. This is true. But actually, I thought that this movie gave the only explanation to be an anti-vaxxer that I have ever (laughs) found compelling. Which is what? You know, the friends with like five kids or whatever. Yeah, Frances McDormand. Yes, exactly. Uh, When she comes over, she's talking to Ed about the fact that she needs to get Nathan Jr. vaccinated. And she says... Then he needs to get the Diptet vaccine or else he'll get lockjaw, not great. But she also says he'll get night vision. And I was like, wait a minute. If you didn't get vaccinated and you got night vision, that is the only positive I could see coming out of not getting vaccinated. But you would also have lockjaw, Bora. I know. And diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis. Oop. But I think you would just have to decide, like, maybe deadly diseases or night vision. And you would have to weigh your options, you know? That seems like a more difficult decision to me than maybe deadly diseases or probably not deadly diseases. <laughs> I mean, I do think they have a potion for night vision, right? Lasts what? about six turns. Six turns? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I knew this would really confuse Mora. 
<laughs> it's a D and D. Oh, I hate. This. <laughs> <laughs> Is this better or worse than the movie for you? Uh, at least in the movie. Like, I understood what was going on, <laughs> even though it was weird. Now, I do not. I can't imagine growing up with him, Mora. <laughs> Mora, what did you think of John R. Crowder as the yodeler? <laughs> what? John, what? What did you think of John R. Crowder as the yodeler in this movie? Just, like, the yodeling in general? Right, he, no one at, you don't, like, see anyone No, yodeling, he is right? the man who the did record. the yodeling. It was fine, you know, I, it, yeah. That time that I asked Fiona to yodel to me, that is more of what I was wanting from her. But, you know, of course she gave a very half-hearted yodel. And then probably claimed it was a full-hearted yodel. Yeah. Being a liar and all. I did love when Ed was singing to Nathan Jr. And she sang one of the really weird Southern murder ballads. Yes! Uh, I was gonna say, I was like, what is this song that she was singing? Because some of the words were like, I did murder that dear little girl. And I was like, what is this? If you want to find out, listen to the first episode of the uh, Dolly Parton podcast. They go into the history of those. Like, at first, you're like, oh, this is, like, such a nice, soothing song. And then you listen to the words, and it is not. Yep, that's about uh, 60% of Southern ballads. But the score for this movie, Mark, with its fantastic yodeling, was done by our old buddy Carter Burwell, who we raved about for his Carol score. Uh, Carol. What a guy. What a guy. You're talking about Carol. Yeah. (laughs) No. Carter. Carter? Carter. Carter Burwell. Burwell. Already forgot. All right. So should we start talking the romance of this movie? Yeah, that sounds good. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points to analyze it, see what's there, determine how believable is it. So this week as our guest, Maura will be guiding us through the five points of the relationship between High and Ed. High played by Nicolas Cage in the same year as Moonstruck. And Ed, played by Holly Hunter, same year as Broadcast News. These were two busy beavers. Yeah. So, point one. um, High has a career of robbing convenience stores at gunpoint. And so he is frequently in and out of jail. I don't love... I'm sorry. I gotta interrupt. I don't love that you said it's High's career. He clearly says that it's Reagan's fault. You're right. I'm sorry. But I don't think he has any other... Any career in general... Other than robbing convenience stores. He's a dreamer. Okay. Guy named Zed for a pretty thing like you. Short for Edwina. Turn to the right. You're a flower, you are. Just a little desert flower. Let me know how those come out. So Ed, who is played by Holly Hunter, is a cop in the prison. And she is the one who is always taking High's mugshots. And... Hi just thinks she is so beautiful and is always trying to like flirt with her while she's taking these mug shots. And one time when he comes in, she's crying and he's like, oh, what's wrong? And she says her fiance left Excuse her. me, her fiance. Fiance. <laughs> this is such a great moment of performance because Holly Hunter isn't even crying through most of it. She's doing that like bottom lip quiver that people do when they're crying sometimes that it's like very hard to fake, but she's nailing it. She just has her lip moving for that entire scene, just like trembling. Yes. And manages to walk the line of being clearly very sad, but also kind of hilarious in her patheticness. Right. So she says her fiance left her. So then Hi is saying that he's going to come after her fiance because it's ridiculous that someone left her behind. 
And then at another time when High is arrested, she's fingerprinting him. And while she's placing his fingers on the ink pad and everything, he slides a ring onto her finger and basically just asks her out that way. Which is fantastic. It is a very smooth move. It reminded me, whenever I see, like, subtle rings sliding onto fingers, I always think of Fiona's Harry Potter fanfiction, which we have mentioned on this oh podcast before, God. in which Harry breaks up with Cho Chang by pulling a ring off her finger while she is asleep. <laughs> oh my God. The video is somewhere on our Facebook page if you dig back far enough. It is a very interesting story. It takes place on the 4th of June, which is Britain's Independence Day. <laughs> Independence from what? That's exactly. what I asked. <laughs> and she was old enough when she wrote this that she should have known that also. Yes. Anyway, when Hai gets released from jail, he and Ed get married. And he says that his life of crime is behind him and he's moved on. And, you know, living with Ed is a good influence on him and everything. So point two, Ed and Hai are trying to have kids. And they, like, talk about this in really weird ways. Like, Hai says that Ed wanted to bring a creature into the world. And then Ed finds out that she cannot have children. And Hai says that her insides were a rocky place where my seed could find no purchase. Right. And I cringed at that line. Well, I think it's a a lyrical, descriptive language, Mora. It's, yes, I guess so. My lawless years were behind me. Our child-rearing years lay ahead, but <laughs> biology conspired to keep us childless. Her crying when she says, hi, I'm Baron." again. This movie has such A-level crying from Holly Hunter in all forms. I mean, it's she's true. so you good at it. You see her, like, breaking down and sobbing. You see her taking the mug shots where it's just silent crying. There's a wide range. And you think about this in the same year as broadcast news, you see a lot of Holly Hunter crying at the movies. And... That's true. This has a good balance between you are sad, you feel bad that she's barren, but you're also laughing because of how ridiculous the crying is. Yeah. It's also worth noting that most of our first two and a half points here are all like 20 minutes of narration by Nicolas Cage. And it's kind of great because we've talked about not always loving voiceover, narration, stuff like that at the beginning of a movie. But what they nail in this movie is that we're not being told... This is how the world works. It's not, Mark, I know you didn't really care for the narration at the start of Avatar, where Sam Worthington is basically just doing an exposition dump. Whereas here, that's not what we're getting. What we're getting is this character, High, telling us the story of his life as he sees it, which is clearly ludicrous. And so we're being immersed into the perspective of the movie, not just details of the world. I also checked the title of the movie is not shown until 11 minutes in. Of high narrating and just setting up his relationship with Ed. That point one is about that first 11 minutes of them getting together. I just love Cage's performance in this because he's so weird. We talked about on our Moonstruck episode the fact that he was fully caged, hashtag get caged, in the sense that he was leaning into the weirdest extremes of the Nicolas Cage persona, but it worked for that movie. And I think the same thing is happening here where his tendencies towards weirdness that are not always good moves for him now work incredibly well in the weird world of this movie. Yeah, that makes sense. So point three (laughs) is when Ed and Hi are sitting there watching TV and there's an announcement that the Arizona family has had five children, quintuplets, and it is too much for them to handle. The Arizona quints! 
And you just see the two of them sitting there watching TV and silently they reach out and touch each other's hands and just sit there holding hands. And next thing you know, they're going on a mission to steal one of the five babies. Oh, he's beautiful. Yeah, he's awful damn good. I think I got the best one. I bet they were all beautiful. All babies are beautiful. This one's awful damn good, though. Don't you cuss around him. He's fine, he is. I think it's Nathan Jr. We are doing the right thing, aren't we, Hi? I mean, they had more than they could handle. And they have convinced themselves that they're doing the Arizona family a favor because they themselves said it was too much to handle. They're like, great, they have too many. We don't have enough. We'll just go take one of the babies off their hands for them. And it's clear that what was really going on was like, Nathan Arizona is a leading figure in the community. And so it was kind of a story when his family suddenly had five children. And they probably made like a throwaway comment like, oh, wow, so many kids don't know how we're going to handle it. And High and Ed took it literally and were like, they can't handle it. We should take one of those kids. Yeah. And I think Ed realizes, too, though, that it is like a bit of a sketchy move because when they're in their car on the way to the Arizona household, she says, like, are we doing the right thing? Whatever. But then they just decide, yep, this is it. We're good. And it's worth noting that Ed also eggs high on when he doesn't steal a baby she refuses to let him back in the car until he goes back and takes one yeah also i found it entertaining that there were five babies and their names are harry barry larry gary and then nathan jr (laughs) such a great move but i also thought it was ridiculous so when high goes upstairs to steal one of the babies which terrified mora even more than the spirit of christmas Oh, I don't know about that. They were scary in different ways, but I was afraid of the spirit of Christmas. How? <laughs> Yon and I had to hold hands during it. You it was guys scary. are so weird. Other people have also agreed that it is a scary movie, but that's not I the still point. can't the believe we is, made you watch The Fly. Yeah. I was thinking about that earlier today, and I was trying to decide which movie I enjoyed more, this one or The Fly. What's your answer? I, I think... Uh, <laughs> This is such a difficult decision, but I really, I think it might be The Fly. Okay, at the end of the episode, I'm going to have you rank all the movies you've done for us. Oh, no. Okay. Well, anyway, so what I was saying is that when High is upstairs to kidnap one of the babies, Mr. and Mrs. Arizona are just downstairs, like, reading books, and they hear some commotion from upstairs, and Nathan Arizona says, oh, that sounds like Larry, when they hear one of the kids crying. But then later on, when they have a press conference about the fact that one of their children was kidnapped, Someone says, which child was it? And he's like, uh, I I think Nathan Jr. And I was like, you're telling me that from downstairs, this man heard a child cry and could tell which one it was. But when he looks at four of his children, he cannot tell which one is missing. Maybe Larry's just the most distinct crier. Maybe it sounds like... god the fact that no one's ever sure that it is nathan jr is one of my favorite jokes in the movie too i know but but i also thought that it was very bold that if they were gonna steal one they stole the one that was named after nathan arizona clearly the best one he also just picked it random that baby is adorable every person that touches that baby falls in love with him so clearly he's oh yeah he was so cute cute. sometimes when he's in the car and he just like pulls his hood over his head or is like covering his face. He, that baby is so cute. But also, okay, so when they were talking on TV about, oh yeah, this family had quintuplets, whatever, I assumed the babies were newborns. Those are not newborns. And I guess to be fair, Ed does call them toddlers. They have to take time to was... plan the kidnapping. I don't think they just hop yeah. in their car and drive over. They have to do some That's recon. That. I really thought they just grabbed a ladder and went. I do get that, that vibe, baby... but yes, those babies are large. 
that baby is crawling and sitting up on its own. Like, that baby is, you know, probably at least, like, six to eight months old. I don't know if chronology is this movie's strongest suit. (laughs) Also, like, all babies in movies are too old for whatever age the baby is supposed to be. Well, yeah, because you don't want, no one's going to give up their newborn for filming. Yeah, I guess that's true. That was creepy. Please don't do that again. So they drive to go and, and steal the baby. And it's worth noting there is the point where High goes up and he's looking at stealing the baby, but then he freaks out and goes back down and Ed won't let him back in the car. She's like, steal me a baby or don't ever come back. Yeah. So then they do take the baby. And when they're driving home, this is when Ed just starts sobbing and is like, I just love him so much. And I was like, this is dramatic. Her face just met this child. is so perfect. All the crying rules. It's such ugly crying, like just downright sobbing. And then they get home and they've set the whole house up with directions like welcome home with decorations. Baby boy or whatever. Yeah. And welcome then home, they go Nathan. to take a they go to take a family photo and the three of them are sitting on the couch and they have the camera set to automatically take the picture. And while they're waiting for it to take, Ed just keeps saying like, "Hi, like I love you so much." And he's just like, "We're ready to pop here." And she's like, "Hi, like you're going to help take care of this baby, right?" And he's like, "We're ready to pop here." And he's just clearly not paying attention at all. And I was like, "Maybe you should have had this discussion before kidnapping a child of whether or not he was going to help you at all." He's focused on getting a good picture. And then it's not a good picture. No, because she looks very concerned, and he also looks a little bit concerned. And Nathan Jr is just doing his thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love how bad at kidnapping they are. They never even <laughs> yeah. attempt to change the name away from something. Like They just call him Nathan Jr. Yeah. But not to other people. To other people, they call him like High Jr. or just Jr. I, just, Jr. Or whatever. I, they just call him Nathan Jr. when they're only around each other. I just feel like it would be a good mindset to get into if you kidnap a child that young to just fully change their name, even in your own mind. Yeah. I mean, you definitely should. It goes on for way too long that they haven't renamed this child. But also, so when the reporters are asking Nathan Arizona about the kid that got kidnapped, and they were like, oh, like, what was he wearing? Like, what does he look like? Whatever. And he's like, I don't know. He was in his jammies. He was not in jammies. He was not in pajamas. He was only in a diaper. And then they were like, well, what do the pajamas look like? And he starts describing pajamas. And I was like, this man clearly has no idea what's going on with his children. And it kind of reminded me of in the Jonas Brothers documentary when they're talking about what they've all been up to basically in the past like 10 years. And they talk about Kevin Jonas like being a dad and like at home with his family. And they have footage of him in the grocery store buying diapers. And he ha- he is on the phone with his wife and has to ask her what size diapers their child wears. And I was like, I'm sorry. He has clearly not been that involved if he doesn't know what size diapers his child wears. Um, do you think it's possible that Nathan Arizona puts his children to bed in pajamas and then they all strip down and throw a little baby party? I mean, I would not put it past those babies. They could definitely be put to bed in pajamas and then just rip them all off. Those are some mischief-making babies. They really are. I do think the Arizonas are in a little over their head. Yes, definitely. Well, also, when they have the crib, it's a five-baby crib, which, first of all, I feel like is unsafe. (laughs) And they have the names above each one. And I was like, what if they just roll around and switch spots and you never really know which baby is which, which I feel like is definitely the case with this family. Well, what's your alternative as a medical expert? Like, should they tattoo a letter on each baby's arm? Well, I think, first of all, each child should have their own bed. (laughs) 
babies aren't supposed to co-sleep with their parents, and so I don't think they should be co-sleeping with each other either. But the babies are not their parents. Yeah, but the whole point is that you don't want co-sleeping because you're worried about SIDS. And I think these babies are past the SIDS risk point, but still, I don't think they should all be rolling around in there together. (laughs) They could be like that mom in China who just shaved numbers into her triplets heads that's like not the worst idea. <laughs> for their teacher's convenience <laughs> i guess that's kind of helpful so they've got nathan arizona home they're excited but that's when our boy john goodman hauls himself out of the ground like a piece of poop covered in poop they did hit a sewer line as they were the digging out yeah. yeah so he's a poopy man with his poopy brother are they brothers i yes okay i thought they were kind of I thought they were being coded as a gay couple. No, they explicitly refer to each other as brothers multiple times. Yeah. And I think I saw that as like, you're my brother, brother. Just because the way they were like talking about raising the child together. I was like, is this supposed to be some weird gay couple? I took them as just being weird dudes. They are that. <laughs> I also enjoyed when Princess McDormand and her husband were over and she is talking about uh, Ed is saying that basically like, yeah, we just call him Junior right now. We don't like we haven't really decided on a name for him. And she's like, oh, well, you should name him Jason. I just love biblical names. Like if I had another kid, I would name him Jason or Caleb or like Tab or something. And I was like, none of those are biblical names. Right. Jason is a mythological name. <laughs> it, tab is like a, a cat soda. Name. <laughs> soda for women. What? It, it, it was marketed towards women. Yeah, because oh. it was, I think it was the first diet soda. And so because it was diet, they marketed it towards women mostly. Well, anyway, so in point four. Um... <laughs> that was beautiful. In point four, Francis McDormand's husband, he realizes that the baby is the missing Arizona child. So this is Glenn, played by Sam McMurray. He and Frances McDormand come over. Ed is really excited about this. She's like, right, because now you are reformed. You're not a criminal anymore, hi. We are going to make some respectable friends, have a nice time, tell John Goodman and his buddy to get out of here, because we're just going to have a nice, respectable time with good people. Cut to the kids tearing up the place. And they're, like, really freaking high out. You can tell he's like, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into by getting a child? Fair point, seeing those children. Yeah. But anyway... So that is when they initially come over, but then later on, Hi and the husband get into a bit of a fight. Well, that's because Glenn pitches Hi on being swingers together. Yes, that's right. Um, he, like, walks him out by on the cactus flats and is like, hey, me and Francis McDormand are swingers and you should do it along with us because, you know, I think Ed is pretty hot. And so that's when Hi punches him in the face, which is unfortunate because Glenn is his boss. Right, so then he loses his job. And so then Glenn comes back a little bit later and is like, hey, I know that that is really Nathan Jr. And we are going to take him and turn him into Glenn Jr. Because like that baby doesn't belong to you and I'm mad at you basically. Well, what he says is he's like, we could turn the baby in for the reward, but but we'd rather have the baby. Dot wants another baby. And as we know, something's wrong with his semen. Oh, yeah. And so then, while they're having that discussion, John Goodman and his brother are inside overhearing this conversation. And so when High walks back inside, they start beating him up and then steal Nathan Jr. And take him along to a bank robbery. Yeah, which I thought that was, like, 
kind of entertaining. They run into a bank, and they just, like, have this baby in a car seat that they're carrying. Well, you can't leave a baby in the car, right, Maura? Yeah, but then they leave the baby on top of the car and drive off Okay, but it it was good childcare at first. Well, I guess so. You have to give them credit for that awareness. Okay. And it's worth noting also that by this point, High has already tried to rob a convenience store again while getting Huggies, right? Yes. It was after he got fired. No, not yet. Yeah. Yeah, after he gets the, fired. The first High extended Ed, robbery scene. High Ed and Nathan Jr. are driving along, and High pulls oh, up yeah, at the yeah, convenience yeah. store, and he tells her Nathan Jr. needs some Huggies. Yes. So he goes in to buy some diapers, but instead he goes back to his old ways and robs the place. Yeah. So So now the cops in- are involved. Yeah. He's on the run. Ed is really mad at him because he has yeah, committed Ed, like, crimes again. Yeah, leaves him behind at the convenience store. She's mad. and It's when they get yes. back then that Gail and Glenn Avell... Comes. Right, that Glenn comes and Gail and Avell take the baby and run. Their yes. relationship is already basically on the rocks. And High has written a letter at this point saying, I'm going to leave you guys to help rob, I'm no good. rob this bank because I'm no good for you and you'll be better off without me. Signed, Herbert. Yeah, right. But he falls asleep and misses the jump to go join the bank robbery. Which is when the two brothers run off with Nathan Jr. So then they're all trying to get Nathan Jr. back, basically. And Ed is really upset about this. She's talking to High in the car at one point when they're driving around trying to find Nathan Jr. And she's like, all I care about is getting Nathan Jr. back. And if we can't do that, I don't know if I want to go on living. And even if we can do that, I don't want to go on living with you. And so things are really not looking great for their relationship. She's upset about the crime. She's upset about being separated from Nathan Jr. It's bad news bears. And all this time, by the way, old Leonard Smalls is riding his motorcycle, his fiery bike across the deserts. Throwing grenades yeah, at rabbits. Find Nathan Jr. Shooting lizards. Killing anything he sees. He is a terrifying man. It is kind of funny to see a Nicolas Cage movie with a fire-spewing motorcycle that isn't a Ghost Rider movie. It's also weird to see a Nicolas Cage movie where he's not the craziest person there. That's true. But Leonard Smalls at this point is already confronted Nathan Sr. And is basically like, if you don't raise the price, I'm going to sell your baby on the black market. And... Nathan Senior yeah. says no, so Leonard Smalls is trying to capture this baby to sell him on the black market. Yep. Yeah, he tells Nathan Arizona, he's like, well, I know a lot of people who would pay a lot more than $25,000 for half a baby. And I was like, half a baby? What? So, Maura, as a medical expert, is it a good idea to buy a baby? But what no, about I half a baby? Illegal. <laughs> what would you want with half a baby? I don't know. We are anti-crime, so we should establish kidnapping is a crime. Don't do it. Yes. That's yes. true. But it would be worse to kill the so baby because we're anti-murder. Exactly. Well, one thing that one other thing that I did find entertaining is so when the brothers have Nathan Jr. and they're kidnapping him, I think then they stop at a convenience store to buy diapers for him. Yeah. And they're asking the man behind the counter, like, kind of like, what's the deal with diapers? And like, how do you use them? And the convenience store man describes diapers as being self-contained and fairly explanatory. Which I agree with, but one time we had this like, I don't know, like four day old patient and one of the nurses taught the dad how to change a diaper for the first time. And I was like, wait a minute, excuse me, sir, your child has been alive for four days and you're telling me you have not changed a single diaper in the past four days? Are you kidding me? 
better pigs. So after all these shenanigans, Leonard Small's blown up by his own grenade after High pulls a pin. And it's worth noting there are lots of shenanigans like John Goodman and his brother driving away from the bank. Forgetting the baby. So the baby that they had left on top of the car flies off the car. Leonard Smalls actually gets the baby, picks him up, and hooks the car seat on the front of his motorcycle. Which also seems unsafe because then the kid is getting the brunt of, like, the dirt and wind. Yeah. Yeah, The child care in this movie I'm going to rate fairly low if we're giving it a scale of 1 to 10. Well, is it unbelievable Um, or just bad? I don't know that it is unbelievable, unfortunately. (laughs) Oh, no. But... It's even sadder yeah. coming from you. <laughs> but anyway, so Ed and Hi are having a conversation at one point, and Ed is saying, like, you know, to be honest, we have no more right to the baby than John Goodman and his brother. But they still are able, when, once the Apocalypse Rider has the baby, they are able to get him, Nathan Jr., back from him. And then at that point, they kind of realize, like, this is not our child. We need to give him back. So in point five, was it wishful thinking? Was I just fleeing reality like I know I'm liable to do? But me and Ed, we can be good too. Hi and Ed return to the Arizona residence, climb back up the ladder, and are returning Nathan Jr. And while they're doing that, Nathan Arizona walks in the room and is like, wait a minute, what is going on right now? Who are you people? Why are you in my home? But he is also oddly chill about the whole thing, too. Well, because his baby is there and he's like, oh, you're returning my baby, which I have publicly asked people to do. Right. But I would just be concerned that this couple was in my house without my knowledge. Well, there's even if they were returning my baby. There's clearly a ladder leaning against the window. Yeah, but he seems very unconcerned by that. You fact. mean someone's anyway, acting in a way that seems a little far-fetched and out of the norm in this film? Okay. What a surprise. Well, anyway, he figures out that they were the ones who took the baby and not just people who found the baby and are returning it. And so he asks them why they took Nathan Jr. And they tell him, like, oh, we can't have kids, whatever. And he's like, oh, you know, don't give up. And at that point, it seems like Hi says that the two of them are probably going to end up splitting up because they're both kind of selfish people. And it just doesn't really seem to be working out. And Nathan Arizona tells them to at least sleep on it before they make any big decisions like that. It is worth noting, too, that when Nathan Arizona is saying, don't give up on not being able to conceive, he basically says that he and his wife had fertility challenges, and it's only thanks to, like, recent scientific advancements that they were able to have the Arizona quince. And so what he's saying is, like, hold out hope, maybe science will be able to help you out. Yeah. And actually, to be fair, when you use, um, like, IVF, the chances of having, like, twins or triplets or multiple births is higher. That really does make sense, too, that they had these quintuplets. But anyway, so he tells them not to give up hope about having kids. And that night, while he's asleep, High has a dream about he and Ed being together in their old age and having children and grandchildren coming over and, like, a nice big family. And so it kind of seems like, at least in his... In the world that he's dreaming about, he and Ed might actually stay together and make it. So, after watching a true saga, honestly, of High and Ed, do you find their romance believable? No. Yes? I don't think so. I don't. Kind of? I don't really think so. Their initial meeting is really just not believable. Okay, that's true. And that really sets it up. Once they're together, you can see why they 
love each other, but still. It's so elevated. The movie doesn't need it or want it to be believable. It just wants you to yeah. accept it. Putting on the ring during the fingerprinting is pretty great. Yeah, she's still a cop. And he's still a right. repeated offender. Of armed yeah. robbery. I was going to say, of like violent crime. Well, he never uses live bullets. Right, so that does bring it down a little bit. Well, that's true. Okay, so then, Maura, where would you rate this on a scale from 0 to 10, where 0 means you believe none of the romance, and 10 means you believe all of it? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, like, a 2. I'd go a little higher. I was thinking, like, a 3 or a 4. Maybe a 4. I'm really torn, because I do think the beginning of it is so absurd, but I kind of do like them married, but even then it's a little insane, where, like, Ed is ready to throw him to the dirt if he refuses to steal a baby. Yeah. But at the same time is very black and white on don't commit crimes. That's partially because she has framed stealing the baby as not a crime, but helping out the Arizona family. So I think I am going to land at a two, but I love it. All right. I'm still a three. I think their relationship seems when, when they're together, they're both so insane that at times their insanity does truly sync up. I love the way that they yeah, feed on true. each other's intensity. Mm-hmm. And so as one of them gets worked up about something, the other one gets more worked up. And just the more frazzled he gets, the more High's hair expands. His hair. So do yeah. you guys find High or Ed dateable? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a hard pass on both of those. Hard pass. <laughs> Which means that we have to ask, if you did have to pick oh, one person God. in the movie to date, no. Mora, who would it be? I would choose the single life. <laughs> You have to pick somebody. <laughs> I cannot. I have been racking my brain, and I do not think there is a single person in this movie that I would choose to date. My answer is Nathan Arizona. He's a businessman. Well, he seems man. annoying. He's constantly going on about his unpainted furniture. Yeah, he's, he's hustling for his business. And he uses his, his tagline every time. It's kind of like the Bob Vance Vance refrigeration, but like worse when he's just like, if blah XYZ doesn't happen, then my name isn't Nathan Arizona. And he says that all the time. I think that would drive me nuts. I think he's kind of fun. He seems like a friendly dude. Think about the way that he engages with High and Ed at the end of the movie. Yeah, and I guess so. as loony as he seems, he does really love his family. He also does... Well, then maybe... He does represent the evils of Capital, because he describes himself as a terrible boss. That is true. That's less great. Maybe if I did have to choose one person, it would be Mrs. Arizona, because I you never really hear her speak, so I don't know anything about her personality but i everybody who does speak i dislike their personalities i'm gonna go with the woman on the parole board because she seems to believe in actual rehabilitation that's true the people on that parole board though know, we're so bad i feel like we're idiots <laughs> because they, he kept saying oh yes that life of crime is behind me and then before you know it he's back in there and again convincing them that his life of crime is behind what him. Am I, well, it's Reagan's fault. One of my favorite moments is when they ask him, "Are you telling us the <laughs> truth or what we just want to hear?" And he says, "Well, I'm telling you the truth." And they said, "Good. All we want to hear is the truth." And he just goes, "Well, then I'm telling you what you want to hear." <laughs> I do love the touch that he does blame Reagan for his crime and his car has a Mondale Ferraro sticker on it. Now, Maura, do you think that High and Ed do stay together at the end? I actually think they might. I would not at all be surprised if they split, but I feel like the end of the movie kind of makes you think that they will stay together. Yeah, I agree. I think they I think they make it. I think there were me- there would be many reasons for them not to make it, 
But because they made it to this point, I think at this point, they might be good. You know, like they, they made it through that whole experience together. And I feel like that bonded them a little bit. Yeah, I guess it's never going to get worse than kidnapping a child. Right. And being chased by a mad demonic motorcyclist. So, yeah, yeah. if they made it through that together, I think I could actually see them sticking it out. Now, this has happened to a number of the movies we've covered. And Mora, I'm curious, do you think Raising Arizona should be made into a musical? Maybe. I don't think it would be the worst idea. Mark, what do you think? I think it could be a pretty fun country musical. Yeah. yeah there'd there be, be a, a lot, lot of yodeling. yodeling. <laughs> there should just be someone on side of stage yodeling the whole time. Yeah. I, I kind of think this would work. Yeah. Because you could get some fun hijinks. I like the idea of a, like, Sondheim-y, fast-talking, I'm, like, I'm not getting married today level song about stealing a baby. Oh, yeah. I feel like there'd be a lot of good use of screens where you have like three screens of a dog chasing high, cops chasing high, and a convenience store owner chasing high with a gun, and he has to just like run in place away from everyone. Yeah. Some good visuals, projections. I'm into it. All right. So I think we've raised Arizona. Um, before we move on to our final comments, Mora, I'm gonna ask you to rank the movies that you've covered for this show. Oh, no. So, in order, the list is The Big Sick, The Princess Diaries, The Fly, Broadcast News, Step Brothers, and Raising Arizona. Oh my god. Wait, she... okay. Wait, Maura, weren't you on the Tall Guy episode? Oh, you were oh, on yeah, the Tall Guy. Oh yeah, I was. Good catch. Because she's a nurse, and we asked you about the nurse hat. Oh yeah. Okay. Just, like, how much I liked them. I want you to rank them from, uh, from most to least liked. Okay. Well, I think The Princess Diaries has to be first. I've seen that movie so many times. I have many parts of it memorized. That one's just a good classic. Um, then I think it would probably be The Big Sick. And then after that, Broadcast News. I really genuinely like all three of those movies. Um, what are you implying? <laughs> I think you know that. Oh, The Tall Guy. I enjoyed that one. I could put that one at four. And then The Fly. So what are the... It's Raising Arizona and Step Brothers are left. Yeah. Uh, This is really tough. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know which I disliked less. Truly fascinating. Yeah, this is bizarre. This is the weirdest take. (laughs) I don't know if I liked Raising Arizona or Step Brothers more. I might put this above Step Brothers. That's the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. What did you think my order would be? I had no. I couldn't have guessed your order. It's a. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I probably would have wound up close to this. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be too far off. I think Broadcast News is my number one. That that one was really good on that list. Yeah. I would happily watch that movie again. But Broadcast News, Big Sick, and Princess Diaries are clearly the top. Well, no, Raising yeah. Arizona is so good. I don't know. Raising Arizona is probably above Princess Diaries for me, at least. Okay. But Step Brothers is definitely the bottom of the barrel here. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Oh, clearly. <laughs> All right. So Arizona's been raised. Next week, we will be chopping some wood. That's what you got? Yep. <laughs> I got nothing else. <laughs> Next week, we're talking about the 1994 Tim Burton movie, Ed Wood. About Ed Wood. It's great. 
It's a very good movie about a man who created the worst movie ever made. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod and email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. This movie actually was a suggestion from our listener Connor via Facebook. All right. Make sure to please rate, review, and subscribe to the show because it really helps us find new listeners. Last question, Mora. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Raising Arizona? Um, you know, slipping the ring on seems to work pretty well for him. So slipping the ring on her finger while she's fingerprinting him. So how would you word that as advice? If you're interested in someone, casually slide a ring onto their finger and see how they take it. Okay. So you're saying just <laughs> put a ring on it. That is your advice. Yeah, exactly. Yes. William? Um, I think for me, the advice is has to be when something is really important to you, stand your ground. Like how Ed rolls up the window and refuses to let High into the car until he steals a baby. Okay. I'm torn because what truly works for High is to get arrested repeatedly. But we're a strong <laughs> anti crime podcast. So I just but don't know what to crime. do. And that's worth noting. That is true. I am not pro crime. You gave a bunch of advice to a criminal. Well, I just So Will, you're saying we I have think I more told them what not to do. We have one criminal on that listens to our podcast. I am not a criminal. Let's get that straight. No, you're I just You're just pro crime. I never said that either. I just gave advice to criminals. So Mark, what's your dating advice? Uh, I mean being the king of unpainted furniture gives us the only marriage that seems to be less troubled stable. and stable. So open your own unpainted furniture business and change your name to Nathan, Arizona. Or whatever state you live in. True. Yes. First name and then the state you live in. So like I would be Will, Maryland. That's not the worst name. No. More a District of Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Well, we'll see how much longer. Whoa! That is a hot take from The Economist recently. (laughs) An ominous comment from Mark means it's time for us to go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! Bye!